Daniel chapter 9. I think we're going to cover verses 4 through uh, through 23. I think what we're going to do there. Before we begin, though, I'd just like to have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you so much, and I thank you so much for all the things that you've done for us individually and as an assembly. Father, I thank you for your awesomeness and your greatness. Father, we just lift you up and adore you right now. Father, I pray that you'd help us in the areas where we struggle with sin in our life. Uh, Father Yahweh, I just pray that we would continue to keep killing sin uh, before it, Father, takes control over us and just keep putting it to death. Father, I ask right now that you bless this sermon today. I pray that we would be able to glean some great things from Daniel's praying. Father, some model things that would teach us how to pray. I love you so much, Yahweh. I thank you so much, Father. I pray all these things through your Son. Amen. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 4. This is the prayer that Daniel prayed in response to his figuring out or finding out about the 70 years that the Judahites would spend in Babylonian captivity. And we remember back from yesterday's message to Leviticus 26 where towards the end of that chapter about the cursings, Yahweh told the people of Israel that if they would repent and if they would turn their face towards him, that he would listen, he would hear, and he would put them back in their land and he would again bless them. And so what does Daniel do? Does Daniel just say, oh, well, Yahweh said he's going to do it, so I think that he's sovereign and I'm not going to pray. No, Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel says, I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And we've always got to remember that in spite of Yahweh's sovereignty, Yahweh not only ordains what takes place at the end, he also ordains what takes place in the middle or in the means to the end. And so if, if he's ordained an answer to prayer, then he's also ordained the prayer that brought the answer. And we need to step into the gap like Daniel did here. And Daniel said, since I've read where we need to be praying to Yahweh and confessing our sins so that when the 70 years is complete, we'll get to go back to Canaan land, that means I'm going to pray. A lot of people would think that we wouldn't need to pray about things that Yahweh's sovereign over. After all, Yeshua does say in Matthew chapter 6, does he not, that Yahweh knows what we have need of even before we ask it. But you know what? He still commands us to pray. And I think a lot of that is because prayer changes us. It softens our heart. It helps us understand things. We need to recognize that Yahweh, though sovereign, does use vessels to carry out His work. You know, I've used this analogy before, but it's like if you take somebody that's poor and doesn't have any groceries, if you take them groceries to their home and they say, when they're discussing about it with somebody else, they say, you know what? The Lord blessed me this past week with some groceries. Well, they're right. It was Yahweh that blessed them. But He used a human being to do it. And you need to be ready to stand in that place as a vessel of Yahweh 
and do like Daniel. And in spite of Yahweh being in control, you need to make every effort to do everything that you're supposed to do. It's one of the greatest things we can learn from this chapter. Even though Daniel knew the prophecy had to be fulfilled about the 70 years, he still prayed. He still sought Yahweh. Let's look at Daniel 9 verse 4. He says, I prayed to Yahweh my God and confessed. Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps His gracious covenant with those who love Him and keep His commandments. A couple of things here in verse 4. One, you may not have realized this, and it's kind of odd when it's pointed out to you, but the name Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the four Hebrew letters, yud heh wav have not been used anywhere in the entire book of Daniel up until Daniel chapter 9. And you can go back and check that. Yahweh's called Adonai in Hebrew, which is the Hebrew word for Lord or Elohim, the Hebrew word for God. He's called the Most High by that title several times in the book of Daniel. But the name Yahweh is not used until Daniel chapter 9. And you'll find that it's used, I think, seven or eight times in the chapter. We saw that it was used twice in Daniel 9, 1 through 3. And it's already been used here in Daniel 9, verse 4, where he says, I prayed to Yahweh, notice the Lord in all capital letters, I prayed to Yahweh my God. A lot of theologians call the name Yahweh the covenant name for God. Now, I don't agree completely with what they say because they try to make it out as though God has many names and that's the covenant name for God. And so that's one of his names, but then he's got other names over here like Adonai or El Shaddai. And those are not proper names. The words Adonai or um, Adonim, which is plural, or El or Elohim, those are words that are common. They can be used for any of the gods in Scripture. But when Yahweh distinguishes himself from the other gods, he uses a personal proper name. And it's interesting that when you look in the Bible, you see that the names of the other gods, they've been transliterated in our scriptures. Names like Dagon and Baal and uh, Ashtoreth. Those names are still here. Man, you know, but Yahweh tells us in Exodus 23:13, do not make mention of those names or do not invoke those names is what he's saying. Do not use those names. Don't call them to your memory. What you should call to your memory, though, Exodus 3.15, is his name. Well, it's being reversed in the English translations of our Bible for the most part because it's his name that has been unmemorized or lost, and it's the names of the other gods that we still read when we read the Old Testament text. But here, Daniel, praying to Yahweh, he uses Yahweh's name. He says, I prayed to Yahweh. And I think that it, it is because Yahweh is the covenant name of God. And it's really the only name of God, personal proper name that is. And what I mean by that is when somebody wanted to rely upon the Most High that he keeps his covenant, they would use his name because he swore by his name. In Exodus 6 verse 3, a passage where people kind of try to throw Yahweh's name under the rug by saying that that name was not known to the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where he says, By my name Yahweh, I was not known to them in some translations. And some people say, See, he wasn't known by the name of Yahweh up until the time of Moses. Back in Genesis, they didn't know that name. And, of course, that's very easily disproven. We see the very first person 
that we have written record of to use the name of Yahweh? Anybody know? Eve, that's right. Eve is correct. Genesis chapter 4. When she was pregnant, she conceived, she said, I've gotten a man from Yahweh. She's the first person to use it that we know of in the written record. Okay? It may have been used before that, but we don't know. But we see all through Genesis that even altars were built by the patriarchs where they used the name of Yahweh. Exodus 6 verse 3 is a passage, though, that's not saying, I was not known to them, but Yahweh's rather making a statement in a question. And he's telling them, look, I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Then he says, but by my name Yahweh, was I not known to them, Moses? Did I not also establish my covenant with them? This is a text where Moses is doubting the words of Yahweh. He doesn't necessarily want to go down to Egypt and say, let my people go. But Yahweh says, look, I showed up at the burning bush and I revealed my covenant name to you. I've swore by my name, so go. When I swear by that name, you can be assured that what I say is going to take place. And so Daniel here, he prays to Yahweh. He uses the name of Yahweh all through this prayer. He then says in verse 4, he calls Yahweh the great and awe-inspiring God. He gives Yahweh praise and adoration. I was talking to my daughter yesterday, saying that when we pray to Yahweh, we don't need to go right to the, to the requests, to the supplication. You don't. And, and that's what most people use prayer for. Even a lot of habitual sinners, when they get in trouble, what do they do? They say, well, it's time to pray to God. We need to ask Him to bless us. And I think it was brought up last night, Proverbs 28, verse 9. He that turneth his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. That word abomination is a very strong word, brothers and sisters. It's used to describe the sin of sodomy, homosexuality in Scripture. It's very strong. Can you imagine somebody's prayer to Yahweh being an abomination? Somebody that turns their ear from hearing the law. And we don't need to just approach Yahweh in prayer when we want something. Prayer is not about our wants anyhow. It's about what we need our supplies that Yahweh promises, us, promises to provide to us. See, The first thing we should do when we pray is exactly like Daniel did. Yahweh, I pray to you, you're the great God. You're the awe-inspiring God. I lift you up. I adore you. I thank you. That's what prayer is about, first and foremost. Blessing Yahweh. It goes on to say that He's gracious to those who love Him and keep His commandments. You can't get away from the commandments in the Bible. You can't. You're not going to. It don't matter how hard you try to run, how fast you try to turn, you're not going to get away from them. They're going to be on every page of Scripture. Something's going to be said about keeping the law or being obedient to Yahweh. And that's who he loves. Never separate love from keeping the commandments. Daniel doesn't. Daniel recognizes you keep your gracious covenant and you're faithful with those who love you and keep your commandments. Love is always tied with the keeping of the commandments. 1 John 5, verse 3, you need to memorize it. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Always remember that. People say, why don't you talk more about the love of God? Why are you always talking about the commandments? Without realizing, they don't realize, that when you talk about the commandments, you are talking about the love of God. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. But look what he says at verse 5. It's something very astonishing here. Verse 5, he says, we have sinned done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name, 
to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. So while Daniel realizes that Yahweh keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments, he says, but we've not done it. We've sinned. Now, I want to ask you, was Daniel a righteous man? He was. He followed Yahweh. I don't believe that means he was without sin, that he never committed sin. He falls up under passages in Scripture, like four or five of them, that clearly teach that every man, minus one, has committed a transgression of the law. And that's not just Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a good passage you can go to in Paul's epistle to the Romans, but it's not just taught there. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, Solomon said, There is not a just man on earth that does good all the time and never sins. That's in the Old Testament. See, same thing as Romans 3.23. Daniel understood this, and even though he was a righteous man, he recognized he was still sinful, he had still transgressed Yahweh's law, but I want you to notice that he was recognizing here his association with the people of Yahweh. He was praying for the entire nation of Judah slash Israel here. We have sinned as a nation. We have violated the Sabbath rest for the land, like we talked about yesterday. So he prays himself, but he prays for the whole nation. And what this teaches us, brothers and sisters, is that we're not lone rangers with Yahweh. We're not. There are some people that think that they can get by without attending an assembly or going to a church or being with a group of people. Now, I recognize the need to make sure that you're with the right church and with the right assembly and the right group of people. And sometimes folks can't find that where they live, no doubt. But we're not called to be lone rangers. We're called to come together as a group, as a body of believers and fellowship as an assembly. Hebrews, is it Hebrews chapter 10, I think, where it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? But if you read the whole chapter of Hebrews 10, it talks about how that we're not supposed to forsake to assemble ourselves together as the manner of some is. And there are some people today that think, well, I don't need to attend an assembly. I don't need to be with a group of people because I can just, you know, serve Yahweh at my home. And that's not true. That's simply not true. You have to attend or be or belong with a group of people. Now, that group may not be big. It may not be big, and it may even be spread out. You might be in a location and there's a lot of people that listen by way of telephone to our services that are in a location where there's nobody else to fellowship with. And so they do the best that they can do. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that think that they can just get by keeping to their self. No, that's not true. Daniel didn't believe that. Daniel recognized, even though he was a good guy, he recognized his association with the community of Israel. We, as a nation, have sinned. That's why I'm here. Because our nation has sinned. And sometimes I think we might need to pray like that, even in our nation that we belong to, where we were born. Father, we have sinned. We may not have sinned individually in that regard, but as a nation, we're, do, we're doing wrong. Father, please forgive us. Please, we pray for those that are in authority. Those that should not be there, we pray that you remove them, kick them out. Those that should, we pray that you give them a new heart. Let them see your ways. Do you pray for the leaders of the country? The Scripture says that we should. We should. Some of them we need to pray that Yahweh gets them out of there. No doubt about it. Some of them don't belong there. Brother Dan read that last night in Deuteronomy 17. Verse 7. 
Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, in all the countries where you have dispersed them, because of their disloyalty, they have shown toward you. Yahweh, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of Yahweh our God by following His instructions that He set before us through His servants, the prophets. He's continuing to say, we know what we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to keep your commandments. We're supposed to obey your law, but we've not done it. And in spite of this, compassion and mercy, it belongs to you, even though we've rebelled against your law. We've not followed your instructions. You sent prophets to us. Jeremiah was one of them. You tried to tell us, Yahweh. Daniel's praying this. You tried to tell us as a nation, Yahweh, to straighten up. You gave us a chance. You continued to send prophet after prophet, message after message, but it's our fault. We didn't listen to you. We didn't do what the prophet said we were supposed to do. And that is follow the law of Yahweh. The message of the Bible is very, very simple. After you come to the knowledge of, of Yahweh and the knowledge of his, his Messiah, the Lord and His Christ, the next thing that you can spend the rest of your life studying about is how to be obedient to His commandments. And that needs to be the most important thing that you research after you come to the knowledge of the Father and the Son, John 17, 3, that's eternal life. The next thing you need to research for the rest of your life is how to be a better servant, more obedient slave servant of Almighty Yahweh, walking in the footsteps of His Son. That's, that's your whole life. That's everything. Everything revolves around that. How can I better serve you, Yahweh? Verse 11. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Remember that promised curse? We read it last night, Leviticus 26. It's also in Deuteronomy 28. And I said that Yahweh is not only faithful to keep his blessings, but he's faithful to keep his curses. Amen? He says the promised curse, notice he calls it the promised curse, has come upon us. Why? We didn't do what you told us to do. You see how simple that is? There are blessings for obedience for national Israel, but there are cursings for disobedience for national Israel. That's the whole reason why Israel was scattered amongst the nations. He sifted them, Yahweh did, amongst the nations. Even as your grandmother or your mother when you were growing up took that sifter and sifted that flour, he sifted Israel amongst the nations. Why? Not because they did right, because they rebelled, because they did wrong. Now, praise Almighty Yahweh, He's restoring them with His new covenant that is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and He's bringing them back. And a remnant of Israel shall be delivered and shall be saved. So praise Yahweh for that. But the reason that they're in Babylon, the reason they're not in their land, is because the promised curse that is written about in the law of Moses is taking place. Verse 12. He has carried out His words that He spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us so great a disaster that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. 13. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, 
All this disaster has come on us, yet we have not appeased Yahweh, our God, by turning from our injustice and paying attention to your truth. So Yahweh kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For Yahweh, our God, is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. See, Yahweh is righteous in what? In keeping the disaster that he promised to bring upon the sons of Israel when they disobeyed. This is all still in the prayer that Daniel's praying. He's saying, Yahweh, I know why we're here. I know what's happened to us, but you're still righteous. Even though of what you've done to us, you're righteous in that because we deserved it. (laughs) We deserve to be here. That's what he's saying. Verse 15. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made your name renowned as it is this day. We have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Here Daniel brings up in verse 15 the land of Egypt. And Egypt, we know, and the exodus from Egypt is one of the greatest stories in all of the scriptures. And we know that in Exodus verse 9, I think it's right around verse 15 and 16, Yahweh says that he raised Pharaoh up to be able to show his power and to cause his name to be declared throughout the whole land. So all the plagues had a purpose. All the plagues were purposely brought upon the Egyptians so that in the end, when Yahweh brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, everybody would know these are the people that serve the God that brought all those disastrous things on the Egyptians. And people would know Yahweh's name. And that's what Daniel's bringing up here. We're about to see how Daniel's going to end his prayer. What he's going to say here at the end. He brings up the greatness of Yahweh's name. And he's going to put the emphasis on Yahweh and not on himself. Or on the people of Israel, but rather on Yahweh. Verse 16. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the injustices of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. So here now, instead of the people of Israel being known for their righteous acts, they become an object of ridicule. You speak the name of Israel, you speak of Israelites during this time, and people make fun and they mock. Hold your finger for a second in Daniel 9. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 here for just a second. I want to show you the difference between the nation of Israel being obedient to the laws of Yahweh versus what's going on in Daniel 9 where they're disobedient and an object of ridicule. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 beginning at verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 5 through 7. He says, Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as Yahweh my God has commanded me, and this is Moses speaking, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When Israel would carefully follow the law, the peoples around them, the nations around them, would see the wisdom and the knowledge in those laws. We think about some of the laws today that exist on the books of the USA or even on the books of our county or our cities. And we read them and we think, man, that is just ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
You know Yahweh doesn't have one law like that. All of his laws make sense. He's just, he's true, and he's right in everything that he says. And when you look at those laws and you see a group of people, a nation of people obeying them, you see wisdom. You see understanding. Notice that the law of Yahweh wasn't just to be followed by Israel. When Israel kept the law, it was to be a light to the other nations. And you know what? It's the same thing now in our individual lives and in the lives of our families. If we're lawbreakers, we become an object of ridicule to people in the world. If we're law keepers as an individual or as a family or as a church, people look at us and they think, man, that's a pretty wise and understanding group of people. Why? Not because of us. Because we're just submitting to the laws of our Father. The end of verse 6 here in Deuteronomy 4 says, When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as Yahweh our God is to us whenever we call to Him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? But in Daniel 9, the opposite was the case. Israel had become an object of ridicule amongst the nations. The nations laughed at the people of Israel. Why? Because they disobeyed. Because they didn't obey the law. Verse 17 in Daniel chapter 9, the next verse we'll go to, he says, Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Show your favor to your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Daniel asks here, please listen to me, Yahweh. I want you to show favor again to your house, to your temple, to your city. Please show favor again to that. Verse 18, listen, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city called by your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts but based on your abundant compassion. You know, this is probably one of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible. Daniel says, I'm praying to you. And he said, we're not presenting our request to you based upon our righteousness, but rather we're presenting our request to you based upon you. Based upon your name, the one he already mentioned, how he made his name known back in Egypt. Based upon your compassion, and based upon your mercy, and based upon your righteousness. Act for your sake. Look what he says in verse 19. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake. Do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. This is speaking the same thing as Ezekiel 36. Brother Jerry Kendall brought up Ezekiel 36 yesterday at the Sabbath meeting about the new heart and the new mind. Okay, before that, if you just read a little bit above in Ezekiel 36, Yahweh says what He's about to do with His people, He's not going to do because of them. He said He's going to do it to protect His holy name. Now, thanks be to Yahweh, we're used in that process. We're used by Yahweh. Yahweh causes us to walk in His statutes and His commandments. Praise His holy name. But He doesn't do it because there's anything good found in us. He does it to protect the sanctity of His holy name so that people can see His, his people. He's wise and He's understanding. He's knowledgeable. Why? 
Not because of him, but because of the God that he follows and the laws that he keeps, the laws of that God. That's why he's wise. That's why he's understanding. So here Daniel recognizes something that people often think is only taught in the New Testament. We read a passage like in Romans chapter 2 or chapter 3 or Galatians chapter 2 where it says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified in the sight of Yahweh. And a lot of Torah keepers, they just really get fearful about verses like that and they just want to throw out the book of Galatians or throw out the book of Romans. I talked with a woman one time that cut the book of Romans out of her Bible and um, because she didn't believe in Paul. And I asked her to turn to Romans 3 and she said, I can't turn over there. I said, why? She said, I cut that part out. So, um, yeah, I've talked with all kind of people. You guys just don't have a clue. <laughs> but um, the reason that she cut it out, you know why? Is because Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. Who knows that verse? You ever heard that verse? Okay. She said, she quoted that verse. And she said, but I read my Bible and I see where there's many people that are righteous. So Paul couldn't be right. And I said, ma'am. I said, do you know that Paul, when he said that, was quoting from the Old Testament? She said, no, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, in the book of Psalms. Yahweh looked down from heaven on the people of the earth, on all humanity, and he didn't see anybody that did what was right. What's he talking about? He's talking about perfectly right. Sure, there's people that are called righteous in Scripture, like Noah, Daniel, Job, but it doesn't mean that they're perfectly right doesn't mean that they're sinless they're not perfect in that regard they've still transgressed against Yahweh's law but now they've come to a place in their life where they follow Yahweh and they live a lifestyle of righteousness so that's how people can be called righteous but when Paul and when David says there's nobody that's righteous no not one he's talking about completely and perfectly righteous and that goes for me and you there's nobody nobody in here that's perfectly righteous Daniel understood that. I don't pray, Yahweh, because of our righteousness. I pray because of you, your name, your mercy, your compassion. That's why I'm giving my prayer to you. So when people think that all this no justification by the law perks up in the New Testament, and that's the only place it perks up, one of the places you can go back to the Old Testament and show them is Daniel chapter 9. You can say, well, listen, Daniel understood this back in his prayer in Daniel chapter 9. This wasn't something that Apostle Paul came on the scene and started teaching that was new, as though Paul had a different gospel than everybody else, as some dispensationalists teach today. No. Daniel believed the exact same thing that Paul believed, and that's why when Daniel prayed, he took all the attention off of him, and he placed it all upon Yahweh. And you know what? That's how you're supposed to pray. That's how you're supposed to pray. When you pray... Don't be like the Pharisee that Yeshua talks about in Luke 18, that he comes and he lifts his, bows his chest out and he lifts his head up and he says, Oh, God Almighty, I'm so thankful I'm not like this sinner that's standing right beside me. I pay tithes of everything I own. I fast twice a week. I pray to you. You know, don't pray like that. How do you pray? You pray like the tax collector. He, he bows his head. He wouldn't so much as even lift his eyes to heaven. And he says, Yahweh, have mercy on me, a sinner. It doesn't matter how far you get and how in tune you are and how much you know about the laws of Yahweh, you still pray like that tax collector because you need to remember where you came from, see. Where you came from. When Yahweh saved you, you didn't know anything. You weren't keeping any commandments. And so you pray, Yahweh, continue to have mercy on me, a sinner, 
The righteous man prays like that. Why? Because he knows that apart from the grace and the mercy of Yahweh, he wouldn't even be able to pray. He wouldn't be able to do anything. He wouldn't be here on the new moon apart from the grace of Yahweh. Brother Clifton said last night as we were talking after service, he said it's by the grace of Yahweh that we're obedient to the law of Yahweh. It is so true that we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If it was by any little bitty work, you would have something to boast about. If you made it to the kingdom of heaven by your works, when you got there, you would be able to say, The reason that I made it here is because I kept this law and this man didn't. And you know what? It will only be keepers of the law that make it to the kingdom of heaven. But the reason that they kept the law wasn't because they just up and decided one day I'm going to keep the law. No, it's because Ezekiel 36, Romans 3, and various other passages tell us that Yahweh reaches down and takes a dead sinner and revives that man so that he wants to walk in the law of Yahweh. That man's not able to do that of his own accord. The carnal mind is an enmity against Yahweh, Romans 8 says, and it says it cannot subject itself to the law of Yahweh. It cannot. It's not possible. Ephesians 2 said that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead, spiritually dead people until Yahweh by His grace and His mercy regenerates us and gives us the desire and the want to to be obedient. Daniel understood this. Paul understood this. David understood this. It's completely and solely by His grace. And that's why Ephesians 2, verse 10, a lot of people, Brother Dan, read verses 8 through 9, but they don't read verse 10. Dr. D. James Kennedy, before he died, he taught a message and he said he would never again quote Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 without also mentioning verse 10. It's a beautiful message. I have it in a tract at home. It's a Presbyterian minister. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in the Messiah, Yeshua, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Him. So not only does he mention salvation by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, but he goes on in verse 10 to talk about how that we're going to perform works, but the reason we're performing the works is because we've been saved by grace. That's the reason. That's the reason. Uh, A lot of the Protestant reformers illustrated it by way of tree and fruit. I think that's a fitting illustration because Yeshua mentions tree and fruit in the Scriptures. And you know what he says in Matthew 7, 15 through 20? He says that a corrupt tree cannot produce good fruit. But notice what comes first, the tree. Not the fruit, but the tree. Then he says, neither can a good tree produce corrupt fruit. And that's why I question a lot of people's salvation is because they call themselves saved or they call themselves good trees, but I see them producing nothing but corrupt fruit. So it makes me think, you know, I need to question that person's salvation. And you might ought to question your salvation. If all you bring forth is corrupt fruit, you might need to think twice before you think that you're saved. And you need to repent, ask Yahweh to save you, and cry out to Him and pray that He does. So Daniel tells Yahweh to act for His own sake. Do this for your name so that we can get back to our land and your name will be great once again. Then he says in verse 20, Listen to this. This is the answer. Daniel prays the prayer and then he gets the answer. Verse 20. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Can I stop here for a second? 
Another part of prayer, it's not just supplication that is making requests, and it's not just adoration and thanksgiving, it's confessing sin. When you pray, you need to confess your sins to Yahweh. Sometimes only you or those closest to you know about certain sins in your life. And if you struggle with them, you need to confess them. And you need to do it on a daily basis. You bow your head and you confess your sins and you name them. And you say, Father, help me with them. Help me with these sins in my life. Daniel said, while I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people, speak it out. Talk to Yahweh. He's your Father. He wants you to talk to Him. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him. Beg Him to help you. Father, please help me with this sin. I've been struggling with this. I need your help. Help me, Father. You need to do that. He says, And presenting my petition before Yahweh my God, concerning the holy mountain of my God. Verse 21, While I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. So here Gabriel, the angel, comes to him as a man, as angels always when they show up, show up in the form of a man. I think this has to do with back in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. It's not that the angels actually did the creating, but Yahweh announced his creating act to the angels in Genesis 1.26. And we see, what do we see? When angels show up, they're in the image of, of man. And so when Yahweh does the actual creating, though, in Genesis 1.27, notice it goes back to the singular personal pronoun. It says, then Yahweh created man in his own image. In the image of, of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. A lot of people want to stress the plural pronouns in Genesis 1.26, but all that tells me is that God is speaking to somebody else. Not that there's three persons in God, but that the one God is talking to somebody else. When he does the actual creating, he uses the singular pronouns. So Gabriel here is the angel, the same angel that showed up in Daniel chapter 8 and told him the vision about the ram and the goat, the interpretation. He shows up. And he shows up about the time of the evening offering, evening sacrifice. This would be in the afternoon time, same time the Passover lambs were, were slaughtered. This is the same time that the daily sacrifice in the evening, late afternoon, was offered every day. This is when he shows up, verse 22. He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it. For you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. And we're not going to get into the 70 weeks here in the vision and all that tonight. We'll do that next Sabbath. Yahweh will at least start. But notice that because Daniel poured out his soul to Yahweh, Gabriel the angel showed up and revealed something to Daniel that Yahweh never revealed to anybody else. The only reason we know about it is because we read about it. But this vision of the 70 weeks was only revealed to the prophet Daniel. Not Ezekiel, not Moses, only Daniel. And he says, for Daniel, you're treasured. You're treasured. You know, if we could just get a good start on trying to be like Daniel, we'd be all right. <laughs> I want to be like the Messiah, but I'll never be that holy. If I, I, if I could just be like Daniel, I'd be okay. Daniel was treasured by Yahweh. Look at his life and everything that he stood for. How he prayed is what we're seeing tonight. How he prayed. He never emphasized himself. If you don't get anything else out of this message, you remember that. 
But in Daniel's prayer, he never put the emphasis on him. He always put it on Yahweh. We'll get more into this 70 weeks next Sabbath, Yahweh's will. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we, as we close out. Holy Father, You're holy. And Father, You're so high above us. Father, higher than the heavens are above the earth. There is no one that's like You, Father. And there is no human being that is like Your Son. Father, we lift You up and we lift Him up as well. Yahweh, Father, I pray right now that, uh, number one, you'd rejuvenate, Father, the prayer lives of everybody in here. Number two, Father, you'd teach us how to pray properly through the Scriptures. Father, Yahweh, number three, that we would learn that our sins carry with them penalties. And Father, Yahweh, that if we're bringing forth corrupt fruit, We're going to end up in the same place in the same way that the Israelites ended up. It's not going to be good. Let these things, Father, be upon our hearts and minds every day. Father Yahweh, it's so easy for us to forget about things that we learn if we don't continually go back and and be reminded of them. I just pray they would stay fresh on our mind. Bless all the men here. Bless the women. Bless the marriages. Bless the children. Bless our individual lives. Bless our families. Bless our assembly. And Father, when it's all said and done, we know that that you'll do it, Father, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory and your praise. Let that be our goal, to glorify you in all that we do. We pray these things through your Son. Amen.